I grew up in Snohomish, and now I live in Kirkland. I spend 40 hours a week in an office. I'm on cubicles. I've lived here for 10 years. I'm a boss, a husband, a father, and a lifelong chauffeur. I'm a single working mom. Every morning, I walk our city streets and pray. I moved to the Northwest because of a job. I was living in Texas and my wife was in Alaska, so we picked the middle ground in Seattle. I've lived in Bellevue for 49 years. Sometimes I wish there were more hours in a day. Sometimes I'm just trying to keep my head above water. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder what my purpose is, not in the future, but here and now. Does God have me in this city for a reason? What is? What is? What is? What is your backstory? Jesus asks that you would shed light on your word, help us know how our story fits with your story. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, good to see all of you here. You woke up. You got here. Awesome. You guys are great. Uh, even though I grew up in eastern Washington, which is only three hours away from here by car, I had never been to Seattle until I was 16 years old. But when I was really young, there was this TV show called Here Come the Brides, and it was set in Seattle. Some of you will remember it. Some of you are too young to remember it. I, I was too young to remember anything about the show except for the song, the first line of which was, the bluest skies you've ever seen are in Seattle. Like, okay, somebody didn't do their research, right? <laughs> but I, I drank the Kool-Aid, and I believed, I, I always pictured Seattle as this paradise of sunshine, you know, like this week, except always and permanently. And I had heard over there in eastern Washington, I'd heard that there were tall buildings here, you know, 10, 12 stories high, about as fur as building not to grow, you know, in eastern Washington speak. And Seattle just seemed like this exotic land. And so when I visited here for the first time when I was 16 with my family, we stayed in the travel lodge near the Space Needle, and I thought we were in a five-star hotel. Man, that was living large for Eastern Washington folk. And, and my brother and I got up early in the morning. We snuck out early in the morning to run to downtown to touch one of the tall buildings. I mean, we just had to touch it because the tallest thing we'd ever seen was a tractor. Right? So, like, we were in awe. And that, I believe my love of Seattle began the moment I touched that skyscraper. And some of you are like, what a sad, depressing little childhood you had. <laughs> it was very deprived, very sad. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a sermon series called Backstory, where we're going to look at the history of Seattle, Redmond, Kirkland, the east side, because the history of an area, what God has done in the past, may give you a clue what God wants to do in the future in that area. But not just, for, not just in the area, but also what God might want to do in your life and in mine. See, he may have you in this city for a reason. Some of what God wants to do in you is tied to what he wants to do in our region and vice versa. Now, I know some of you are just thinking, you know, I'm only here because I was born here, or I'm just here because my job, or I'm from California, so for the love of all that's holy, why am I here? But the Bible is very rooted in geography, and what God does in the land, he does in the people. So, for instance, when God tells Abraham that his descendants will have a promised land, God says, but not yet. For the, for the sin of the Amorites, people living in the promised land, has not yet reached its full measure. 
In other words, God was working with the Amorites and would do so for centuries to bring them back to himself. What God was doing in the land was tied to what God was doing in Abraham and vice versa. So we're going to look at the backstory of our region for clues of what God wants to do here in our area, but also in your life and mine. And Seattle is awesome. It has this wonderfully colorful past. You know, it's built by lumberjacks and prostitutes and bootleggers, right? And some of you are like, and that's supposed to be a clue for what he wants to do in my life? Well, in a way, because I think part of what God wants to do is expand all of our world by, by helping us, by working through us to reach the world with his love. God originally gave the task of spreading his love to Abraham and his family who became the nation of Israel. And I think one of the reasons he chose that particular part of the world is because Israel sits at the intersection of three continents, Europe, Africa, and Asia. And Jesus came at the height of the Roman Empire where Roman roads made communications easy so his, his message could spread. And in the same way, Seattle has always been this crossroads city where Asia, Europe, Native Americans, Latin America, and really exotic places like Canada all mixed together. Seattle was the main port for the Alaskan gold rush, which brought people from all over the world here. The home of Boeing, which shrank the world through flight, making everywhere available. You could go anywhere on the globe. Or as well as Microsoft and high tech that further shrinks the world through, high, through, uh, through, uh, through communications and creates kind of a truly global world. The world is in Seattle. In fact, there are 84 languages spoken in the Bellevue School District. 84. And it's similar in Kirkland, Issaquah, Redmond, Renton, all those places. The east side has a higher diversity index than the city of Seattle. The world is here. And God, I think, wants to use that strategically to reach the world with his love, but also to expand our world by making us part of all that diversity. I just read about a pharmaceutical company that was stuck developing a particular drug. So they posted the problem on scientific websites for physicists and engineers and things like that, disciplines outside of the pharmacy industry. Several workable solutions were discovered by people outside the industry because they could look at the problem a different way. They weren't encumbered with the tired old dogmas and the sacred cows that folks on the inside were encumbered with. Diversity of opinion led to greater creativity. Diversity, racial, generational, educational, diversity of points of view, all of that expands our world, helps us be more creative and make better decisions. More to the point, though, this is something very close to the heart of Christ. He is passionate to bring together diverse people. In the Bible, it says that every tribe, tongue, and nation will be in heaven. The majority of Christians are not white. They are Asian, Latin American, and African. Jesus wants to bring together men and women, young and old, rich and poor, even, even, even Democrats and Republicans. They're all going to be in heaven, so you might as well start getting along right now, okay? You're going to spend forever with these people. Today, some of you are like, oh, can I go to the other place? No, they're going to be there too. Don't worry. You know, heaven will all be reconciled. Heaven will all love each other. That's what today's passage is about. It talks about how Jews who had saw Gentiles as unclean and Gentiles who saw Jews as judgmental and backwards had hated each other for centuries. The text alludes to some of the names they called each other. They seem odd to us today, but Jews would call Gentiles uncircumcised, and Gentiles would call Jews circumcised, and that was, you know, an insult. But Paul says they, they've hated each other for centuries, but now they love each other because of Jesus. 
And he goes on to say this is really one of the ways we see God's power most visibly displayed is when folks who have hated each other suddenly start loving each other in Jesus' name. And that had never happened before, ever in human history. The first, best, most transforming, multicultural, multiracial, multigenerational, multi-opinion community was not invented in America in the 21st century. That is not our idea. Jesus invented it first. And still today, globally speaking, the, mo- the church is the most diverse community where real reconciliation occurs. And that is a way bigger miracle than part in the Red Sea. That's just moving water around that he already made. That's just physics. But to change a human heart and bring about real reconciliation, not just fake getting along, but real reconciliation, that, that is a miracle that only Jesus can do. Paul says he has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. What he probably has in mind is the temple in Jerusalem where there literally was a wall that kept Gentiles out. And then there was another wall that kept women out. And there was a sign, big sign on this wall that said, quote, No man of another race may enter. Whoever does has only himself to thank for his death. Welcome to Bell Press. Right? Like not seeker friendly at all. That is a wall of hostility. And it's not just religious folk who create these walls. No, 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 no. From Cain and Abel to Selma and Ferguson to our own divisions and our own families, division is just everywhere. It haunts us. Racial, political, old and young, rich and poor, men and women, labor and management, gold and white dress, blue and black. It's everywhere. I have heard of minute, minute economic differences where folks who live east of 100th here in Bellevue, the, the street right behind this church, folks who live east of 100th sometimes feel looked down on by folks who live west of 100th. Are you kidding me? Similar divisions in Kirkland, Redmond, Issaquah. You see division in churches. You see it all over. Even in sports, which is so supposed to be fun, but even in sports, it can get really kind of tense and ugly. Right? Like I have learned in my years here, I have learned not to joke about Huskies and Cougars Like, y'all are just so sensitive on that one. Red Sox, Yankees, which is totally irrelevant this year because I've seen multiple predictions that the Mariners are going to win the AL West. And from there, yes, yeah, oh, you believe. Nine o'clock just went like, no. But you guys, you're believers, right? We're going to win the AL West. And then from there, it is just a short hop to the World Series. I just want you to remember you heard it here first. Division is everywhere. But Jesus destroys the dividing wall of hostility in two ways. First, Jesus destroys the comparison game, and really only he does it. We often get our identity by looking down on others. I have X, Y, and Z. They don't, therefore I'm better. It's also a way of feeling like we belong, which is a deep need for all of us, right? I'm in this group, and this group is better than that group. But Paul says Jesus preached peace To you who were far away, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, Jews. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Both. In other words, y'all, all all y'all are messed up. Not just y'all are messed up. All y'all are messed up. All y'all need Jesus to forgive. Nobody is better than anybody else. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works. You're not all that in a bag of chips, so that no one can boast. And once you understand the vertical relationship 
That is that we, none of us can earn our salvation. None of us are good enough to do that. Then the horizontal relationships get reconciled because nobody can boast. We all need Jesus. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And only Jesus really does that. Now, I'm not talking about beating ourselves up with guilt and shame. No, 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 no. But when you realize that you're no better than anyone else, you can't judge. And when you experience that Jesus loves you more than you even dare imagine, it is easier to love others. The church is like a 12-step meeting. This assortment of people who have nothing in common, nothing in common at all, but find this sense of connection and belonging. But it doesn't happen if we meet on our strengths or our wealth or our education or our right politics. That just causes us to resent and look down on other people. It happens only when we meet based on our weakness and our unmanageable lives and our need for Jesus. Pastor John Ortberg talks about a new kind of church liturgy. He calls the Me Too liturgy. We're going we're gonna to do that right now. I'm going to say a few things, and then I want you to respond, Me Too. So let's practice. Say, Me Too. Very good. You sound awake still. So here we go. Without Jesus and left to myself... I will damage relationships. I will make idols out of success and reputation. I'll manipulate other people to get what I want. Without Jesus, I'll eat too many chocolate chip cookies. I'll watch way too much TV, and I will not be nice to cats. And even with Jesus, that, that one still might happen. With, without Jesus, Chris, Chris said amen. Without Jesus, I will let my mind wander into unhealthy thoughts about sex, money, and power. Resentment will fill my heart. Comfort will govern every choice I make. I'll polish my outer image and hide the ugly stuff so that you never know what a real sinner I actually am. And if successful in this, I will go to my grave a respectable fraud. I am a mess, and I need Jesus to make me new. And all God's people said, Oh my goodness, you guys are a mess. I was just kidding, but you guys seemed like you actually meant it. Right? Oh my goodness, what a disaster. In fact, let's just keep this comparison or this, this confession going just a little bit longer. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're a mess. <laughs> oh, some of you are really getting into that. You're like, this person, this person, this person, I'm going to tell everyone that they're a mess, man. Hey, if that was fun, just remember they said it back to you too. Ain't nobody in here better than anyone else. Can we just all agree to that? Ain't nobody in here better than anyone else. We all got our stuff. I got stuff. You got stuff. I got shown got stuff, right? We all need Jesus. The second way Jesus helps us to reconcile is that he shuffles our identity priorities. The passage says his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. There are several Greek words for new. The one used here doesn't mean new as in new car from GM or the new plane from Boeing, it means something never seen before. So the first car ever, the Wright brothers' plane, Jesus died to create something the world had never seen. Historians sometimes call the early Christians the third race. Neither Jew nor Gentile, rich nor poor, old nor young, simply forgiven sinners participating with Jesus in the making new of all things. And that identity goes deeper than anything else. I'm a follower of Jesus first, and white or Chinese or Latino, second. Follower of Jesus first, and an American, second. Follower of Jesus first, and my politics, second. Not that we all agree, we don't. We just have to respect each other. And it's good to value our culture, our racial heritage. We are united, but we're not uniform. But if those things come first, it leads to division. And it shrinks your world down to people just like you. 
Jesus goes to something much more core. I, without any of those labels, not any of those labels, wealth, race, whatever it is, I, just me, was worth dying for. You, without any of your labels, you were worth dying for. Every person you see is worth dying for. That is our real identity at the very core, and it's also our sense of belonging. I belong to the fellowship of the unashamed who know they need Jesus. And when I've been in Cambodia or Africa with people who speak a different language, different economic realities, I feel this deep bond with them still because of our common need for Jesus. But more than that, that is a display of God's power. I mean, when you're in Rwanda, as I've been, and you see victims of the genocide in the same church and through Jesus loving the perpetrators who hurt them, or in the Middle East where Palestinian and Israeli Christians call each other brother and sister in Christ, only Jesus can do that. That is his power on display. That's part of why, as a church, we want to reflect the diversity of our community racially and generationally and in every other way. And we're beginning to do that a little bit more and more, and we want to keep moving in that direction. And this is something that God's been doing in this region for a long, long time. The first white settlers came here in the 1850s with folks like the Denny Party and Doc Maynard, and they encountered Native American tribes led by Chief South, or Seattle, the English version of his name. And Doc Maynard, who was white, and Chief South were really good friends. They just had this really close friendship. In fact, Doc Maynard admired Chief South so much that he persuaded city officials to change the name to Seattle of the city, because up until that point, there had been kind of two different names for the city. One was New York Alki, which, okay, whatever, right? And the other one was Dewumps. I mean, not a Native American word, not an English word. They just made this word up, Dewump. Really? Like, dude, you had one job and you come up with Dewumps? I mean, so be grateful for Doc Maynard. Otherwise, when you were on a business trip out of town and you were asked, you'd have to say, I'm from Dewumps, right? I'm a Dewumper or a Dewumpus or whatever it would have been. There was a war between the settlers and Native Americans. Chief Self kept his tribe out of it and protected the settlers in Seattle. Doc Maynard protected Native Americans and advocated for their rights. No white person did that back then. And he paid for it. Because even though Doc Maynard was one of the largest landholders in Seattle, he did not prosper economically because his friendship with Chief Self made him suspect to the other settlers. And Chief Self was no pushover. I mean, he was a great warrior. He often would lecture white people on the environment and Native American rights. And once he delivered a speech, and the governor of Washington was, was, was next to him, and Chief Self was this big, big man. Governor of Washington was a really small man. Chief Self delivered the entire speech with his hand resting on the governor's head. I just love that. Sit down, tiny little white man, right? You know, yeah, at the time, people were like, they saw it as this dignified act of a man who refused to be subservient. So Seattle was this unique place where you had a strong native chief who was good friends with Doc Maynard and other white settlers, and what they sought was a blended community of Native Americans and white people. Now, it wasn't perfect. There were racial tensions between natives and settlers, anti-Chinese riots. But in the 1850s, when this country was coming apart over slavery, God was writing a different narrative here. And I believe he wants to do that still through you and me, but also for you and me. Because as I said, this just expands our world. Man, I grew up in a neighborhood where diversity was when a Swedish family moved in. 
right? And I know I joke a lot about coming from Eastern Washington, and, and, and you need to know, I actually, there's so many things I'm grateful for in my background there. It's the jokes of someone who loves it. But, but it, you know, for me, one of the things I loved about Seattle when I got here was just more interesting to me than Richland. Although because Richland played a role in developing the nuclear bomb, the football stadium was called Bomber Bowl, and it had streets with names like, oh, Steve, you're there. Yeah, Steve grew up in Richland. The streets had names like Proton Lane and Neutron Avenue, and the school mascot was a mushroom cloud. I am not kidding. The chant was Newcomb, okay? I am not joking. All of which growing up, I just thought was normal until I came here for college and realized it's actually creepy. Interesting, but creepy, right? For years, we only had one movie theater in Richland and with just this one screen. Okay, there are only so many times you can see the movie Rocky, Yo, Adrian, right, without longing for Greece to come to town. Right? And this, this, this was the extent of my cultural education, that and country music, which does require a sophisticated cultural palette to truly appreciate. Right? Seattle just expanded my world. As you know, my wife is Chinese. And a while back, we were having dinner with our kids, and I was just looking around, and it suddenly occurred to me, hey, I'm the only white person here. Okay, I don't know why it took me so long. Like, I don't know why it took 20 years for me to realize, oh, I'm in an interracial, I'm the only white guy in the room, right? I'm slow. I'm slow on the uptake, right? But it's made my life so much more interesting to hear stories from my wife's parents who fled communist China, I mean, see things through different eyes. Diversity, not just racial, but age, cultural, opinions, everything expands our world. But more than that, we are stronger together than apart. Years ago, I was at a meeting of pastors, and the speaker was from out of town, and he asked us, all these, this room full of pastors, he said, how many churches are there in the Seattle area? And we took guesses, 1,000, 2,000, whatever. And then he said, I see, I see. Now, if you ask Jesus that question, what would his answer be? We're all like, that would be one. We're pastors. We should have seen that coming. And then he said, what would happen if you all got together to make King County the best place on earth to live? Together, we can spread Jesus' love. Did you know that Chief Self became a Christian of his own free will and told his people about Jesus, instituted morning and evening prayers? To me, that's a clue what God might want to do here. Go out to Microsoft. The world is here, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And some of those people have close ties or will go back to their native countries where in some cases not a lot of folks know Jesus. I think God wants to use that strategically, that if we help them see Jesus through our actions, they can take Jesus back to their countries. Now, that doesn't mean we turn them into projects. Our job is just to love them, let God handle the strategy, but together we can spread Jesus' love. Together, we could end racism. Together, we could alleviate poverty. Together, we can put families back together. God knows that. That's why he's put us together. But you know who else knows it? The devil. And he doesn't like it. See, racism, poverty, broken relationships, these are a few of his favorite things. So he lies to keep us apart. The word Satan in Hebrew means accuser. The word devil in Greek means divide. He accuses to divide. See that person over there? They're different. Can't trust them. Can't trust them. Can't trust them. But Jesus unites. So what does that mean for you and me? Three things practically. First, humble ourselves. Recognize we're no better or worse than anyone else, just loved and forgiven sinners, and that helps us stop judging each other. We've all sinned. We are all loved by God. 
Second, open yourself up to folks different than you. One of my aunts loves opera, theater, that sort of thing. She married a man whose motto was, give me a good tractor pull and a Budweiser, and I am good. So she would go to tractor pulls with him and say, now, why do you like this? And he would explain the artistry and the indescribable beauty of it all. And she would take him to the opera, and she'd explain that, and their worlds expanded. Ask a colleague, a neighbor to lunch, and just ask about their life. And then third... Show them Jesus' love. Show more than tell. My, fa- my former church in California has been partnering with a school in San Francisco that serves low-income families and at-risk teens, and they formed a prayer team, a teacher support team, a resource development team, a lunch ladies hospitality team, and a tutoring team. And one of the tutors is named Grant, and he's 82 years old, and he goes to the school a couple times a week to tutor his student who's in his teens. So different age, and this student also happens to be a different race. And it's this great friendship that goes both ways. I mean, that's key. It's not Grant is not the savior here, right? The student keeps Grant up to date on technology and pop culture, and Grant helps the student in school. The student student makes Grant feel so loved, so needed, so valuable. One week, Grant couldn't come, and his student said, hey, where's my homeboy? I think every 80-something person should be a homeboy or a home gal to someone. There's another student named Jason who was going to be expelled for fighting. People from the church came around him. Men came alongside to show him love and grace, but also teach him what it means to be a man. Jason gave his life to Christ, became class president, and is now at a Bible college. This has just been great for everyone. Like Grant gets a deep sense of love, meaning, Fun, joy from a student who is different age, different race, different economic reality. Student has an older male role model, someone who cares about him and his success. It's expanding their worlds, helping each other grow, alleviating poverty, and spreading Jesus' love. This is the way that we are healed. This is the way the world is healed, not alone, but together. Jesus puts all kinds together. Caucasian, Asian, Latino, African, rich, poor, middle class, Republicans and Democrats, left-brain linear sequential people who are always so organized. How do they do that? And right-brain creative types who just sit around all day and feel groovy. He puts us all together. And together we become the display of his power, the presence and the power of our risen Lord who makes all things new, including you and me and this world that he loves so much through his grace but also through each other together. So Jesus, make us one in you. Lord, thank you for your great love for every one of us and help us to remember our need for you, Lord, and may we find our unity in you. And then together, Lord, help us to work together to make King County the best place on earth to live. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.